from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 10. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? This is the word of the Lord. Hey, how you doing this morning? My brother Andrew says you got a problem with some of your fishing nets. Bring them over here. Let's see what you're working with. Ah, this was always one of my least favorite parts of the job. You know that, right? I mean, I'd rather be out doing something, not sitting here fixing these. But, you know, I got the hands for the details. And Andrew, well, he's always running off doing something after someone, right? So let's see what we got here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we can fix that. Oh, that's no problem. Yeah, no, it's easy. Here, come on over. Sit down. So are you going to ask or are you just, just going to sit there with that grin on your face? No, I can see it. I know you want to. It's all right. Go ahead. I can see the question buzzing around in your head right now. What was it like to follow him? <laughs> oh, man. All right. All those years. That's a big one, but I get that one a lot. I get that one a lot. Well, it was never boring, that's for sure. I mean, there was always something going on. I mean, sometimes it felt like it was completely random. Like, we would, we would be getting in the boat just to go across the sea, and you want some quiet time, looking to do some prayer. Next thing you know, you got thousands of people waiting on a shore on the other side, wanting you to feed them and teach them and stuff. I don't even know how to have it. Actually, I would really still like to know which one of the guys shot his mouth off about that one. I don't know. Nobody's ever fessed up to it yet. I don't know, but sometimes, you know, sometimes it was random, but sometimes you were just struggling to keep up with the guy. I mean, I never saw anybody move with such purpose before in life. It was like he was always going somewhere. And it, we didn't even know who he was at that point in time, right? We didn't even know where he was going or what he was doing. We were just trying to keep up. You want to know what the greatest miracle was that he ever did? Putting up with us for three years. I mean, we were dumb as rocks sometimes, Okay. I don't believe that the reason that I'm not called Simon anymore is just because being called a rock is a compliment. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it, to be with him was refreshing, though. It was good. It was, even if it was confusing, you know, everything was a stretch, right? For your mind, your soul, your heart, your strength, everything. He was always doing something new. He was trying to make you think differently about who you were and what was going on. I mean, he was teaching us a total new way of looking at the law, about how to love God, about how to love God's people. 
And he was totally blowing up my idea of who God's people really were. Right? Anytime I thought I was thinking big enough, he'd come right back out there and stretch me out again. Right? You really had to be ready for anything with Jesus. Ready for him to open you up to things that you never thought possible before. Because, you know, you're not going to catch a whole lot of fish if there's big holes in your equipment, right? He was coming to fix you up. That's what he always told me. Like, say, there was this one time, okay? So we're, we're up in the mountains. We're up, heading all up into the north part where, you know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of our people, right? And, and we're kind of wondering why we're going this way anyway. And we're, and we're heading up in the mountains, and Jesus is walking along, and, and he's just, he just pops this question off out of nowhere. So, what have you been hearing about who everyone says that I am? And I'm thinking, okay, this is like another one of those tests. All right, cool. I got this. So we're, we're keeping the conversation light, right? You know, we're not going to go into the, well, you know, there's those people that say that you're healing because you're empowered by the prince of demons. We weren't going to go there. Um, and, oh, we definitely weren't going to talk about the part where the, the, the Pharisees the other day called him like a Samaritan and demon-possessed. You know, we were going to keep the slurs out of it, right? So, so we're, we're keeping the conversation light. And, and we start talking and say, well, you know, some people... I think, I think overall, people think you're doing a good job. I mean, you know, if, if I was going to take a poll, I'd say you're doing all right. People think you're a prophet, that you, you, you're shaking things up in a good way. You're stirring things up. You're talking about what needs to be talked about. You're, you're bringing the truth of God to people. Uh, you know, some people think that you may even have the spirit of Elijah on you. And then there's this wacky rumor going around that, like, somehow you John the Baptist come back from the dead. I think Herod started that one. I'm not really sure. But overall, people seem to think you're God's guy. You're doing something good, and it's good. And you can just see, like, here it comes, right? He's, he's, he's got that really focused look on his face while he's listening. And then he just stops in his tracks and he turns around and he goes, okay, that's all well and good, but who do you say that I am? All right. I mean, come on, we've been asking that one a lot for a long time. I mean, you don't get caught out in a huge storm that's going to, like, totally flip your boat. And a guy's sitting in the back sleeping like there's nothing going on. And when you wake him up to hand him a bucket to say, at least bail some water or something, he gets up like this is all a great inconvenience and basically tells the wind and the waves to cut it out. Like he's dealing with like some unruly kid or something. And then they do it. And then he goes back to bed. You'll be saying, who is this guy too? I've been spending a lot of time chewing on that one. And I didn't know, but I had this idea, right? I thought about it a lot, and, I was, and in a moment I was like, you know what, I got this. I got this. I know. And so I look at him, and I answer him. You are the anointed king of God. You're him. The one that's been chosen by God. You're the Messiah. And, and like I said, we'd all been thinking about it ever since he fed all those people. I mean, it was just like Moses and Joshua with the manna out in the wilderness and all that. Like, God's getting ready. He's getting his people ready to go in and take the promised land. We know it's getting ready to happen again, right? We, we got this idea. And, and, and it's so great because as soon as I say it, he kind of gets, gets that little grin that he gets, right? You know, that little half grin. He's got the twinkle in his eye, and he looks at me, and he goes, Ah, Simon. You didn't get that one on your own. 
No, 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 no. That came straight from my dad upstairs. Good job. Good job. But keep it to yourselves for now. All right. Oh, man. I wasn't even walking on the rest of the way to that town. I was like floating in the air, right? I mean, I finally figured it out, right? And, and, and we were traveling with him, the Messiah. We've been waiting hundreds of years for this guy, and here he is. He's in our midst. Oh, man, I was so ready. The time for talking was over. It's go time, right? Here we go. Herod, oh, man. That boy made the wrong move when he killed off his cousin, John. All right, he better look out now. Because now here comes Messiah. Okay, you want to get ready? You're a false king. Here's a real king. You better watch out, right? Oh, and don't even get me started on those guys up in the temple right now that are taking all our taxes and saying that it's for, like, the Lord when it's really, like, the beautification of their homes. Forget about it. Then next, even, even Caesar, he needs to look out because I'm telling you right now, this guy's unstoppable. If he is who he says he is, if he's Messiah, Rome better be looking out because we're coming for them too, right? It's go time. I was excited. I was ready. I was going to be a part of this thing that we've been waiting our whole lives for and our father's lives and our grandfather's lives. Everybody's been waiting to see what's happening now and we get to be a part of it. Oh. And well, that didn't last long. He brought me down to the earth pretty quick there. Um, only, only took a little while because, because then he starts talking to us and it's about the strangest stuff I ever heard in my life. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Well, yeah, of course we're going to go to Jerusalem. That's how you, that's how you bring the kingdom. But, but he starts going on and on about how the anointed king of the Jews is going to make a mess of this story. He's not going to go in and clean house. He's going to go in. And he's going to get turned over to the chief priests and the lawyers and the governors. He's not going to take him over. He's going to get taken over by him. And then he starts talking about all this stuff about how he's going to have to suffer because that's what the king of the Jews does. And then he's going to die. And then there's this crazy idea that even though he's going to die, he's going to come back to life in a few days. That didn't make any sense. I was like, Jesus, you're messing the story up. Okay, so... He's just said to me, Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. All right? You're going to be one of the foundations of this new kingdom that we're building. You're going to be one of the rocks. And I'm like, okay, cool. Foundation, time to be that rock. Time to be that guy. Time to be that dependable guy. So I take him aside because I'm not going to do it in public. You know, that's just rude. Right? So I take him aside and I kind of give him a little pep talk, right? You know, just to kind of get things straight, clear the air a little bit. And, uh, and I, thought it was, I thought it was encouraging overall. It may have had a few rough spots, like the part where I said that he was nuts. Um, oh, and then there was, and there was the part where I told him that if he was the king of the Jews and he was a prophet, he's really kind of having some problems because he didn't understand his Bible. Okay, maybe it wasn't that encouraging after all, um, now that I think about it. But, I, but seriously, what was he expecting? He, he was getting the story all wrong. We all know what Messiah is supposed to do. Why doesn't he? The path was really, really obvious. You go into Jerusalem, you pick your moment, 
you get in and you storm the temple, you take the lackeys by surprise, you install Jesus as king, that's, and, you, and you just let it roll from there. I mean, that's how you bring the kingdom. And boy, did I poke the bear on that one. Okay? I don't think I've ever seen him that frustrated with me before in my life. He just, he just looks at me with this dead serious look, and he goes, look, if you're going to be a mouthpiece for the tempter and the adversary and the enemy, you might as well just get out of my way. Just, just get out of my way. Try to remember something, okay? You're the disciple, not the teacher, all right? And right now, you're not being this foundation that I want to build the kingdom on, you're a rock in the middle of the road that's trying to trip me up and keep me from doing what the Father wants me to do. Oh, man, I was steamed. But he didn't stop there. He calls everybody together, and he starts talking about what it means to be a disciple. And it's some of the toughest stuff I ever heard. He said, if we want to be his disciples, we're going to have to get used to the idea that not only did he need to lose his life this way, but we were going to have to do the same thing. We were going to have to follow in his footsteps. If he gets sentenced to carry a cross, we're going to have to do it too. If we're busy trying to save our skins, we're going to lose and miss out on what's going on in the real kingdom of eternal life. What do we want more, our security or our souls? This was not one of those nice devotional talks, right? You know, we did not sing Kumbaya when it was all over. And we didn't talk a whole lot after that. In fact, he kind of let it sit for a few days. And we just had to kind of deal with it. And, uh, and I had to kind of deal with it. Because you know, I messed up big, evidently. I thought I knew what we were doing, and then I realized I had no idea. And he just kind of let me sit with it for a while. And then about six days later, after we've had time to soak it in, one morning at camp, he picks out me and he picks out James and he picks out John. And he says, okay, come on, just you guys, me, we're going to go back up to the mountain. And I don't know what to expect anymore. Okay, I, I, it wasn't anything good, I can tell you that. Okay, I'm wondering if this is how you do exit interviews with like ex-disciples, you know, you bring a couple people as witnesses when you fire the guy. I don't know. But we're going up. We follow him and we go. And I can tell you right now, we did not expect what we saw, right? As we go up there and we spend some time praying, Jesus starts glowing, all right? John's got this big word for it now. He calls it uh, transmogrification or something like that. I don't remember, okay? All I know, all I know is that he's glowing, all right? And, and, it, and I'm not just talking like, like he's got a nice tan. I mean, like his face, it was like hard to look at. His clothes, they get all shiny white. You almost couldn't look at him straight on. Okay, and then we realize that we're not alone anymore. Because out of nowhere, is these two other guys. And let's just be honest, okay? It's not like I ever seen a picture of them. But I know. I know who they are. I've got Moses and I've got Elijah, and they're there, and they're with Jesus. I've got the lawbringer, and I've got the voice of God there with Jesus. And he's talking with them like they're old friends, like they're buddies. 
And at that point, I realized that I had no idea what it was that I was saying when I said to him, you are God's anointed. Because evidently, this is a whole lot bigger than I ever thought it was. Right? Now, I just want to clear the air and set something straight here, okay? James is going to tell you that what, all about the tense and everything, that I'm just running my mouth stupid or something, okay? No. No. I knew exactly what was going on, right? I knew exactly what I was thinking. All right, this is good. This is amazing. Like, we've got the glory of God streaming out of Jesus. We've got the lawgiver, and we've got the voice of the prophets, and we're all right here. Who needs the temple? Who needs to go to Jerusalem anyway? Who needs any of that stuff? We just... We just started all over right here. We bring the kingdom right here, right now. We can do this. We just stay here where the glory is, right? And I was wrong again. Big surprise, I know. And I got corrected again, but this time it was even more convincing than having Jesus do it because basically all of a sudden this big cloud This big, glowing, fiery cloud starts to surround all of us. Totally covers up Jesus and covers up Moses and Elijah. And and I look, I may be a fisherman, but I know my Bible, okay? Glowing clouds, that's a big deal, okay? Glowing clouds, that's what that's that's the presence of God in the middle of the wilderness, guiding his people. Glowing clouds, that's the thing that takes the shape of the chariot, takes Elijah up. Into the heavens, glowing clouds, that's the thing that's the presence of God that's so heavy and so weighty that it pushes the priests out of the temple. And he's here. I am dead meat. You hear me? I am in so much trouble right now. And so I do what any rational person would do in that situation i get face down on the ground as fast as i possibly can i mean think about this he told moses that he couldn't see the glory or else he was going to get wiped off the face of the earth he told elijah that he couldn't see the face of the glory otherwise he's going to get wiped off the face of the earth and i'm looking at the glory and i just told his son six days ago that he was nuts i'm dead meat So I get face down on the ground, I get ready for the waste. Well, instead of getting roasted, he talks to me. He talks to all of us. There's a voice comes out of the cloud. Real short, not much for speeches. Two sentences. This is my son that I really love And I'm pleased with everything that he does. So listen to him. Okay. Message received. I don't know how long I spent down on the ground. It it felt like a really, really long time. And then I felt this hand on my shoulder, right? And, uh, And I heard his voice. It's okay. You can get up. Don't be afraid, Pete. 
And I look up and it's all gone except for him. And he's back to normal and he had that, he even had that kooky grin and back on his face again, right? And he says, so you heard it, right? And I said, yeah, it's kind of hard to miss. And he said, okay, first thing you need to listen to me on, you've got to keep this to yourself for now. Now that you know after I rise from the dead, this is all going to make a lot more sense, and you can start telling people. And I sure hope so, because this whole idea of him going to Jerusalem to die and come back to life, it didn't make any more sense now than it had a few days ago, but kind of hard to argue with the presence of God, isn't it? Father himself told me to listen to him and follow his Messiah, so that's what I'm going to do. And if it's a cross, it's a cross, even if it doesn't make any sense to me. I've had a lot of time to think about that day, especially now that he did rise, right? Now that we know what we know about him, now that the Spirit's come to help us out a little bit. See, the thing is, he gave me a really, really great gift that day, you know? He gave me the ability to see his glory, to see him the way that the Father sees him. But you know what? It was more than that. It was more than that because it was also a picture of possibility right? I looked at Moses and Elijah, and they were glowing too. But I mean, come on now. When I really think about it, Moses and Elijah, they were just guys like me. They didn't get it. They were guys face down in the dirt, just like me. And yet here they are glowing with the same presence of God that the Messiah is. And all of a sudden, I realized something really, really important, that 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 God wanted to do that to them, and even death couldn't stop that, and sin couldn't stop that, and nothing could stop that. And if he, was wanting to, if he was willing to do that for them, well, he could do it for me too. He could do it for us. Because, see, that was always the point, right? The point that everybody was missing, the point that I was missing. I was so focused on the power and the glory of God and the Messiah I never stopped to ask myself what the point of it was. What was the point of giving Jesus all that stuff? The point was not that Jesus had the glory. It was what he was going to do with it. He was going to carry all that stuff to the cross, all that glory to the cross, to the grave, and boom, out the other side into eternal life so that he could give it to us, so he could give it to you and me. Because he sees something in you and me. You know, I realize why he was so patient with us all that time is because he saw stuff in us that we never saw in ourselves. And why he kept teaching us and why he kept working with us because he saw stuff in us that we never saw in ourselves. And so he was going after the real enemies, not the chief priests or the false kings or the Romans or any of those guys, but the real bad guys, right? The real powers, the real stumbling blocks, the sin and the fear and the pride and the idolatry and even death itself. He was going to take those things out of the way so that you and I could be everything that God wanted us to be. So that we could have that glory. He could pour it into us. You know, he was never interested in keeping it all to himself, right? That was the most amazing thing I ever learned about him that day was he was never interested in keeping all that glory to himself. He was the king who was going to spend all of his glory. I never saw a king like that. 
Never saw a king like that before. Haven't ever seen one since. Now he wants to put that glory into you and me to fix all the holes and the gaps in us, right? You know, to stitch us up, make us useful again, make us whole again, make us fishes of men, as he told me once, right? So that's what it was like to follow him. That's why I'm still following, because I'm convinced, right? That's what this is all about. He came to give us some real life, put his glory into us, make us like him again. So it's probably not what you're used to in like a usual sermon. We don't do those real often. Okay. But I just wanted to just spark your imagination just a little bit because one of the most important questions that I think we can ever ask when we come to God's word is, who does God, who does God want me to identify with in this story? What is he trying to tell me? Okay. Who am I in this story? And one of the things that's so amazing about Peter's encounters here in Matthew chapter 16 and 17 is that Peter, like most of us, thinks he knows what Jesus is about. He thinks he's got it all figured out. He thinks he knows who he is. And he's, he's been walking with him and watching him and getting so familiar with him that he thinks he's got it all figured out. And he doesn't realize the huge gaps in his understanding. And, and first off, Jesus loves him enough to call him on it. But then the other piece of it is, is that then Jesus loves him even more that after he's called him out on his misunderstanding, he draws him nearer and allows himself to be revealed to him in an even more glorious, even more powerful, even more meaningful way. We talk a lot about the cross. We talk a lot about the grave. We talk a lot about the resurrection. We talk a lot about the ascension, but I wonder why we don't talk about the transfiguration so much. And, and I think partially because it's just so, it's such an incredible story it's kind of hard to wrap our head around it. You know, there's, there's glowing things and clouds and voices from heaven and Moses and Elijah back from the dead and all this stuff, right? And we, and we have problems sorting through it and going, okay, what's, who am I in this story? But let me maybe give you an idea of who you are in the story. Like Peter, like James, like John. However it is that you're coming today, you have been given a great gift. And that great gift is you've been given a glimpse of Jesus as he truly is, not as you might wish to see him. And, and it's a gift, and like most gifts, it's, uh, most good gifts, it's got a challenge attached to it, right? You, you have to do something with it in order to make it a really good gift. You get a chance to see God the way that, you get a chance to see Jesus the way that God sees him and that he really is, but there's also a possibility there. Because later on, Paul would write to the Philippians and say, this Jesus, who 
in very nature was filled with the glory of God, did not consider that it was his job to hold on to all that glory for himself and, 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 and hang on to it so that he could stay in equality with God. Instead, he poured himself out. He, the word says he, he emptied himself. It, it would be like upending a pitcher and just dumping it all out all over the place, right? And he emptied himself for us, taking on the nature of a servant, serving us, and being submitted for our sakes even to death. And he says, and that, and, and, and Paul would say, that's where the glory of God that was in Jesus really, really came into its own. Because that's what gave him the name that is above every name. And that is what gave him the power above every power. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the idea there is that Jesus pours himself out on our behalf that we may be filled with that same glory. That's really what the Holy Spirit is. It is the manifest presence of God living in you and I, working in you and I, transfiguring us, changing us into who we were always created to be and where God desires for us to be. And so we've got a chance now to kind of respond to that. We've got a chance to come to the table. We're going to take the bread. We're going to take the cup. Fred's going to bring us some thoughts here in a second. But as we do, I want you to consider that there's this image of the glorified Jesus and there's this image of the crucified Jesus. And maybe those things aren't so different. I mean, Peter saw those things going in two very, very different directions, and what God decided to show him up on the mountain that day is that those things are actually very, very close together. And so as we, as we worship and as we sing and as we come to the table, let's consider how the glorified Jesus is the crucified Jesus and how the crucified Jesus is actually bringing his glory and putting it in you and me. And what an amazing gift that is and what a challenging gift that is for us to grow into. Amen? Amen.